Well, we are, a, we are starting a, a new three-week sermon series today uh, called Risky Faith. Risky Faith. We, uh, we started the summer out uh, in May, actually, talking about our mission statement and our core values. We spent four or six weeks or so talking about our mission statement and core values. And then we've kind of spent the rest of the summer talking about... Uh, how that gets lived out, out in the world, moving out into the community, but how does our mission statement kind of send us out into the world? And so as we end the summer here over the next three weeks, I kind of want to come back to our mission statement to bookend kind of this whole summer project uh, with a little bit of a different twist this time. So, uh, so our mission statement uh, talks about us being formed in the way of Jesus. You see it on the front of your bulletin. You can read along if you want. We are formed in the way of Jesus uh, through three different things. Worship, community, and mission. Right, Loving God, knowing each other, and serving the world. So, so we have this kind of three-pronged mission statement where we want to worship, we want to be in community, and, and we want to, to serve, we want to do mission. So I want to talk about those three things over the next three weeks, uh, but this time within the framework or, or the category of risk. Uh, I want to talk about worship, community, and service or mission within the framework, the category of risk. Uh, I would say that to be a person of faith is to take a giant risk. It's a really courageous move. Uh, And so I want to talk about the risk of worship. I want to talk about the risk of community. And then I want to talk about the risk of mission. So this morning we'll start with the risk of worship. The risk of worship. Now, a, a quick disclaimer before I move on this morning. Uh, so three things I, I want to say uh, before I stick my foot in my mouth or something. So first thing, uh, number one, I'm not an alarmist. Uh, I'm not someone who thinks that the world is heading for disaster. Uh, I haven't built a bunker in my basement. I haven't been stocking up on dry goods at Costco. Uh, the end is not near. The country is not going to hell in a handbasket. We're just fine. We're going to make it. I think we're going to be okay. Are there problems? Sure. We'll talk about that in a second. But we're going to be all right. We're going to be just fine. So that's number one. Second thing, uh, I am not a prude. Uh, I'm not someone who thinks that our country has lost its moral compass. We've, we've departed from our ethical center. We're spiraling out of control and there's no hope for us now. Uh, are there some ways in which our, our morals have faltered? Absolutely. But we're okay. Uh, and, and then thirdly, I would say that for the most part, and especially here in America, I don't think Christians are being horribly persecuted. Uh, it's really not that rough for us. We're really not an oppressed minority. We're, we're still doing pretty well for ourselves, and things aren't too tough. Now that being said, all those things being said, it really is an interesting and sometimes difficult time to be a Christian today. Uh, That that being said, I I don't think that uh, all is lost. I don't think we've lost our moral center, and I don't think that we're terribly oppressed or persecuted. And yet, 
it's an interesting and kind of difficult time to be a Christian, to be a person of faith in our country. Uh, it, when you think about the world that we live in, and, and here I'm painting in really broad brushstrokes, so you'll have to take this with a grain of salt. But if you think about the world we live in, uh, to some degree it's a world of skepticism and doubt. Uh, we don't take things at face value. Uh, we're kind of antagonistic, uh, we're kind of pessimistic, we're kind of, we're kind of cynical by nature. Uh, and so I, I think sometimes our first inclination is to be a skeptic, to doubt things, and that doesn't always jive very well with faith. Uh, we are a culture that desires proof and evidence for, for almost everything. We, we still are clinging to the scientific revolution. We're still clinging to the scientific method where, uh, where every little thing has to be proved. Uh, and, and there's some validity there. And yet, uh, I think that, that mentality doesn't always jive with faith very well. Uh, sometimes faith is seen as childish and naive, uh, uh, kind of hocus pocus. Uh, kind of, I can't believe you would you would believe that what you believe. And, and Bozeman is certainly uh, a part of this growing trend. Bo- Bozeman, uh, our little college town here, uh, certainly fits into that that milieu. Uh, when you think about the world we live in, we, we kind of idolize all the wrong things. We, we tend to, to make things into idols, whether it's money or, or fame or power or popularity. Uh, we tend to idolize things that distract us from idolizing the one true God that is only worthy to be idolized. We, uh, we can tend to prioritize all the wrong things. We stick our focus on things that maybe aren't as important as we tend to think that they are. Uh, Whether it's our time or our energy or or our money, we tend to prioritize things that I would say aren't as important as prioritizing God. And and most certainly as a culture, we are too busy. Uh, And so uh, we... We don't make time for our faith. We don't make time for spiritual, spiritual growth. We don't make time for things that seem kind of childish and naive. And again, Bozeman is fully ensnared within this kind of new cultural norm. And so for all these reasons, to be a person of faith, to worship, to show up here, to show up at, uh, you know, at all sorts of faith-related things is a risky endeavor. To be a person of faith, to worship, is risky. It's not for the weak. It's not for the cowardly. It's not, it's not for those that are looking to just skirt by. Worship is a massive risk, and it always has been. Uh, I was thinking, I was looking back at this story uh, of Daniel in the lion's den. And so I want to explore that story this morning. It's an old story for us from Daniel chapter 6 if you want to follow along in your scripture. But I think it's the perfect story uh, for talking about, uh, about this idea that worship is risky. Uh, so I'm sure we'll have it up on the screen. Uh, Shannon's great about that. We'll be in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, but a little backstory about what's been happening in the first five chapters. So the Israelites, J- Judah to be more specific, but, but the Israelites, the Hebrew people, are in exile. They're in Babylon. They weren't following the way of God, and they ended up getting themselves in trouble, and they are carried off to Babylon in exile. They're essentially enslaved. 
Uh, and there's one of these slaves, one of these exiles named Daniel, who uh, even though he's a, kind of a simple slave and should have no role in that society, for some reason, king after king has this massive amount of respect for Daniel. He does certain things in these first five chapters that earn him tons of respect. He, he's interpreting dreams and visions. Uh, he speaks the truth to these kings, even when it's really harsh. And yet I think that they really respect him for his honesty and his integrity. So Daniel is this good man. He's a well-respected man. But here in chapter 6, the story kind of reaches this boiling point. And so that's where we'll pick up. So verse 1, if you're following along. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps uh, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. All right, so Daniel has been earning more and more respect as time goes on, and now the king is about to put him in charge of everything, the whole stinking kingdom. And naturally, it kind of ticks off the other leaders, right? What does this person have to do with our kingdom at all? And now he's about to be in charge of everything. It makes no sense. And so they start to conspire against Daniel. The, the, the plot to take him down is on. Uh, so, so naturally, they're trying to dig up dirt on him. It's kind of their first thing that they try, uh, trying to dig up dirt on him. They search his Twitter account. They hack his email. They're trying to dig up a scandal, but they can't find anything. There's nothing to be found. He's a godly, holy man, and nothing is to be found there. So they, they decide that the only way to get him is to kind of twist his faithful and worshipful lifestyle into something negative. This, this man is kind of overly faithful, overly worshipful. Is there a way that we can twist that and make it seem like it's something that's bad? Uh, so continuing, verse 6. Uh, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. So they start with sucking up. Uh, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So you got a bunch of rich, powerful guys sitting around with nothing better to do than to create some laws that mostly help themselves. Uh, again, I, I wish this stuff were more relevant to our day. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they talked to the king about declaring a law that all worship must only be directed at and to 
the king for the next 30 days. They know that Daniel is faithful to his God and that he most likely will break this law. So, so they want to trap him in his own faithfulness. And so they're really uh, diligent about making sure that all their, their uh, T's are crossed and their, their I's are dotted and, and that if Daniel breaks this law, he will be thrown into the lion's den. And sure enough, Daniel proves to be unfaithful to this law in his faithfulness to God's law. Uh, So we continue, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking for God, God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So the king is good. He doesn't want Daniel to be in trouble, and yet he's kind of stuck in his own bureaucracy here. Uh, Then these men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And the rest then kind of goes as you probably remember from Sunday school class growing up. Verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Still, a good man who wants Daniel to be fine. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God." And then a not-so-fun section. Uh, At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I don't remember that one from Sunday school growing up. Uh, 
But it ends with a fun response from the king, which, which I, I wanted to read the whole thing because I love, I love this ending. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rests rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of of Cyrus the Persian. This is an incredible story uh, of the courage of Daniel, the willingness to take a risk for his faith. I, I love this and I love how it ends. I love the repercussions that follow from this incredible risk that Daniel takes because, again, to practice your faith, to worship, is a risky endeavor. Maybe not to the same degree as Daniel's risk. Maybe God will never uh, call us into that sort of risk or that, that sort of potential persecution or oppression, uh, but to take time to be here in worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, to be in an attitude of worship throughout the week, to own our faith and make it noticeable to the world is a risk. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's it's a very courageous action. And it comes with certain repercussions. Uh, So I want to explore uh, really briefly kind of what unfolds after Daniel takes uh, this risky action uh, he takes this risk of, of worshiping fully and making his, his, uh, his faith public. Uh, there's a few things that happen that are kind of negative. And, and uh, I think we see these in the story of Daniel, but we most certainly see these in our own lives as well. Uh, Daniel's choice to, to, to risk worship here is unpopular. Uh, it, it doesn't go over that well. People don't like it. Uh, people think he's kind of crazy, or, or people are jealous. Uh, it's, it's an unpopular choice that doesn't really make him any friends uh, in the process. Uh, secondly, it, it's a costly choice. Uh, it, it, it almost loses him his life. It could have lost him his job. Uh, he knew full well the choice that he was making to follow his God, even uh, if, if it meant not following the king's decrees. Uh, it was costly, and it can be really costly for us. It, it probably won't land us in a lion's den, but uh, there, there could be certain repercussions that would not be fun, uh, that we wouldn't enjoy. It could cost us everything. In, in fact, People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer write about that, that it almost should cost us everything. Grace is costly. It's not cheap. Uh, It's not something that we we just get to skirt by and it never affects us. This can have a massive effect on us. Uh, And and then I think the thing that you see here is that Daniel's journey is really unpredictable. When he sits there in an open window praying for the world to see, he has no idea what's about to happen. He maybe has a little bit of an idea uh, that it might not go well, but he doesn't know what's to come, and yet he takes the risk anyway. Uh, And I think that's true for us, that when we follow God, when we choose to risk faith, to risk worship, uh, to risk making our our faith public for the world to see, 
we don't know where that, that journey is going to take us. Uh, it may be a great journey. There are parts about my, my faith life where, man, I'm so glad I took that because uh, things went so well and there were so many blessings that, that, that came with those decisions. But there have been times where it's, well, that wasn't so fun. Uh, I, I wish I wouldn't have had to have dealt with that. And yet, that, that's part of this journey, is it's unpredictable, and we don't know where it will end. But there's a couple really positive repercussions that come from Daniel's uh, risky worship uh, as well. And, and again, we see these in Daniel's story, but I think we see these in our, in our own story as well. Uh, the first thing is that we see that God is present with Daniel throughout this entire process. He's not alone. You know, he may have been praying alone, and it looked like he was making this bold statement all by himself. And in some ways, he was the only human that was doing that. And yet we see throughout the story that God is present with him. God is with him as he's risking his faith, as he's risking worship, uh, as he's making this bold statement about his priorities, about what's important to him in his life. God is present with him. God is present with him as he goes down into the lion's den and is there throughout the night. God is there sheltering him, keeping him safe, walking with him in in the midst of, of all that he goes through. And the same is true for us. That God is present with us as we dare to risk worship, as we dare to risk faith, as we dare uh, to courageously go into the world and publicly declare that we love God and we want to serve him in whatever way that that means. Uh, God is present with us. And then the second thing that we see, and it's it's, it's the few verses at the end, it's Darius' response uh, to, to Daniel is, is that we see that risky worship is loaded with potential to alter the world, to make a massive difference in the world. I love how this story ends, Th- that, that Daniel risks worship, uh, and because of it, people are watching, uh, and, and King Darius is in admiration uh, over the, the faith uh, that, that Daniel has and the power that Daniel's God uh, shows in the world. And it ends up making a massive difference in the world. And I think it can do that for us as well. Uh, people are watching. Uh, people are looking to see uh, what our lives might look like. And as we risk worship, as we choose to love our enemies, as we choose to love our neighbors, as we choose to be a blessing in the world instead of a curse, as we choose to enact our faith in real ways and to demonstrate our love for God in the way that we treat the people around us, we have uh, th- those actions are loaded with potential to alter the world as well. God will be with us, and he might just change the world because of our, our courageous actions uh, of choosing to risk worship. So a couple thoughts as, as I close here. First of all, I, I would never want you to think that this sermon uh, is in some way saying that you're not doing this. Uh, I think it's actually the opposite. So I, I want to start by just thanking you all. Thank you for being people who have accepted the call to risky faith. Uh, I'm getting to know you. Uh, I see your faith. 
I see your lives. I see the things that you do for your neighbors. I see the way that you interact with your community. Uh, And I think the world of you guys. I'm so proud to call you my church. I'm so proud to be a part of this family of faith uh, because I see you guys risking your faith. I see you you risking to to be worshipers out in the world each and every day. Thank you for loving Jesus. Thank you for taking his words and his life seriously. And thank you for your your willingness to live out your faith so publicly. But there's also room for growth. There's always room for us to take a next step forward. So I'm encouraging us this morning, challenging us this morning, to step even further into lives of risky worship, to take the leap, to be bold, to not be ashamed, to publicly declare the worth and value of God, to courageously pronounce the ways God is working in our own lives. Let's take a next step uh, of, of risking to be worshipers, especially out in the world. Uh, I'm encouraging us uh, to know that God will be with us every step of the way. Wherever we go, whether it takes us into blessing or it takes us into the pit of despair, uh, I'm encouraging us to, to know that God will be with us on that journey, even when we feel like we are af- alone and afraid in the lion's den. I- I'm encouraging us, challenging us, to know that our risky faith, our risky worship, is being watched and admired and will not return void. It, it, it can and might just make a huge difference in the world. Let's dare to take the risk of worship. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that you are a God that is worthy of being worshipped, that you are worth our time and our energy, and in a world that uh, maybe isn't quite as friendly to Christians as it once was, in in a world that uh, a country that's not hostile to Christians, uh, but, but it's not cool. It, it's not, it's not the, the cool, fun place to be on a Sunday morning. Uh, I, I thank you so much that you are worthy to be worshipped, and I'm grateful for this group of people that is willing to show up here uh, to put their faith in you, to put their trust in you. I thank you that you are with us each and every moment of each and every day, no matter what we are struggling with, no matter what we are going through. And I pray that you would use us to change the world as we risk being worshipers out in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Just a couple of announcements.